back to the Broplist podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan, and on today's episode, we have two games to talk about. Of course, the topic on everyone's lips at the moment, the mounting injury list will also be discussed, and of course, we will also look ahead to Ipswich next week at the Riverside. Firstly, Nathan... um, as weeks go, I think it's been a while since we've had a podcast with two games in one episode. So uh feels like this might be uh, a little bit longer, despite the fact we've been trying to cut out some of our waffle uh, in the recent episodes. But yeah, we'll do our best not to go on too much. Um, but yeah, Nathan, apart from the football, uh, how's your week been? Yeah, not so bad. Um, just... I suppose been thawing out all week because of this weather and being at the two games where it's been absolutely bloody freezing. Uh I think I've certainly uh, defrosted now. So yeah, defrosted enough for to make me able to speak about one win and a defeat this week. Yeah, I mean before we go into the injury list, uh serious question. How many garments did you have on? for the Preston game on Tuesday night because I think I beat my record. Just the four for me. Uh yeah, not not too much. I I don't like to go too overboard, but I think I I just about hit the nail on the head on uh Tuesday night. I wish I brought some gloves mind. Yeah, I could do with a pair of gloves or perhaps even I, I saw that Michael Carrot was um sporting a, a scarf yesterday, which is the first time we've seen him in that. Um, for those that like to sort of pull up stats regarding um his clothing and our results, then that's a new one to add to the list if that hasn't already been uh, factored into expected wins due to Michael Carrick's dress wear. Um, but yeah, Nathan, as I touched on the injury list, I mean, it's becoming just a sort of recurring topic on the podcast whether it's uh, news of a player being out for the season or an update to say that Marcus Force and Riley McGree have still not been found inside of Rockcliffe. They've been missing for weeks now. All the fact, just another couple of players have picked up knocks. Uh, this week, um, the most recent additions are Dale Fry and Hayden Hackney, two arguably of Middlesbrough's most important players. And actually... It come as somewhat of a shock, didn't it? Because when the team come out on Tuesday night, obviously they were absent, but there'd been no sort of discussion around them even picking up knocks uh, following the Bristol City game. So, yeah, another crushing blow to what is just becoming a bit of a joke, really. I mean, what is it now? Ten first-team players out, and you could make a case for all ten of them being starters in this Middlesbrough team. It's... <sighs> It gets worse and worse as time goes by, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, it was seven on Tuesday night at the close of play. And yeah. that that's grown to ten uh, as of yesterday. But yeah, um, Carrick's presser uh, on Monday, we, we sort of knew Engel wouldn't make the squad because obviously he came off at Bristol City with what looked to be quite a nasty knee injury. But... Thankfully, that's not too serious with him making the bench yesterday. But yeah, Dale Fry and Hayden Hackney. We'd sort of heard a murmur on on, on Twitter on Tuesday morning that someone had heard that Borough were struggling with injuries. Well, yeah, cheers. We, of course, we, we everyone knew that. But 
yeah, not necessarily that it was going to get worse. I think the what the one that everyone would fear would be Hackney, and uh, yeah, obviously now out of the squad for the last two games, Dale Fry the same. Yeah, not the best scenario to be in, really. And the starting eleven didn't fill too many with a, a lot of hope going into Tuesday night, but they certainly got the business done. Yeah, it was a weird old night, really, because in all honesty, after the first half, I sort of sat back in my seat in the stadium and thought, I don't even think we've particularly played amazing there and we found ourselves 3-0 up um, Preston I'm just going to get it in now I doubt in fact I know there's going to be no Preston fans listening to this but that performance was embarrassing as the travelling attendance it was pathetic to be honest Nathan and uh, they got what they deserved with that first half display really yeah um, sort of a, a real shock when you look at the league table and see Preston sort of in around those playoff places, like a little bit higher than us in the table. I think there were four points ahead of us at the start of the game on on Tuesday. But yeah, I thought they'd put up a lot more of a fight than they did. Yeah, it was, as you say, a weird game because sat there watching it and thinking and, and cheering the goals and thinking we haven't even necessarily overextended ourselves too much here. It was like we didn't have to get out of second gear. Um, yeah, 3-0 up in the first half. Most of the second half was a non-event, really, until Bangs puts one in the corner in, in stoppage time at the end of the game. But yeah, 4-0 against Preston. Two seasons in a row now against a, a team that notoriously uh, quite a tricky customer coming to the Riverside. So, yeah, really pleasing. Uh, and it certainly warmed all the Borough fans up a little bit. The 24,000 hardy souls that got yeah, themselves it, out on Tuesday. It, it just goes to show that Preston without Emil Reese uh, against Middlesbrough are actually just pretty much a bang average League 2 side, to be honest. It's just he's clearly <laughs> the difference. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to, to not see him, really, as we mentioned in the last podcast. Um, and obviously we hope that he's not going to be fit for the for the next game, uh, the return game at Deepdale, of course. Just in terms of the performance and the goals, we're not going to sort of go overboard. Um, a couple of well-worked moves. Nice to see Isaiah Jones on the score sheet, who, in fairness, I think up until Tuesday night, really is kind of almost been getting away with below-par performances due to the fact that Marcus Force has just been out for so long now um, and I think he answered a few critics in it at least uh, those goals sort of I guess warranted his place in the team over the last few weeks um, and it, it's just again the same conversation that you could have about Isaiah Jones over and over again that on his day a real real nightmare for any championship fullback can cause problems can and has shown there is end product in there somewhere. It's just he doesn't probably show it as much as what we'd all like to see or on uh, or on as a consistent basis as perhaps we saw under Chris Wilder in a slightly different role, albeit. Um, but yeah, I think 
given that he scored the two goals, he was the real sort of talking point after the game. But I think another of those was the fact that we got to see Ralph Vandenberg in his natural position. We've been yet to see him actually play in the position he was bought for um, because of all the injury problems and obviously capped off a, a really impressive performance with a goal as well, which I think may have been a handball, but I'm not too bothered about that. Um, really showed, OK, yes, he wasn't tested, but really comfortable on the ball, good in duels, um, and of course, gets his goal. Yeah, he was uh, really comfortable in there, looked a, a lot more assured on the ball, perhaps because that's because he has more options at centre-half, can see the full picture ahead of him. Um, but yeah, as you said, nice to give him some some praise for, for his performance in there, but really playing against Preston, they, they offered nothing. They d- didn't get out their own half for most of the game. Ozmagic didn't fancy coming out for the second half. That That pretty much goes to show how much they offered in the game. Um, Ched Evans got a run out in the second half thought he might pop up with his uh, typical goal against Middlesbrough but yeah nothing doing for Preston it looks like they'll uh, slowly float down the table like they usually do same as every year start alright try and deceive everyone uh, thinking that they're going to threaten the top six and then finish nowhere near pointless yeah, around the April stage, they might stick a few wins together and everyone will think, oh, they might do it this year and then they won't. So, yeah, as you say, a little bit pointless. Of course, we talked about the two sort of main talking points in terms of performance-wise, but I guess the the moment of the game for a lot of people was the return of Matt Clark after 14 months out. Um, Baldini, Baldini, or whichever one you opt with, there's been a little bit of a debate as to whether Baldini was a bit of a a sort of missed open goal from us because it's it, it just makes sense, I guess, with Maldini. But we went Baldini-yo. Um, yeah, in all seriousness, great to see him back on the pitch. And a lot of people made the point, and I, I do tend to agree with them, that, you know, despite all of the injuries and despite the 14 months out, we're yet to see if he's ever going to reach a level um, that he was perhaps at before he arrived at Middlesbrough. And, you know, we're going to have to be very patient and reserve judgment in any case due to the nature of the injury that he had. But uh, uh, really quite a valuable player to have back. And especially with the injury problems at the moment, he could, well, I mean, he, he is at the moment one of the first names on the team sheet by default, really. Yeah, it's... um. It's one of them. Ideally, you'd you'd want to ease him in to uh, first team action once again. Obviously, on on Tuesday, you saw a lot of changes in the second half to sort of rest players ahead of the weekend, which is very important considering we had we had no one really to uh, to replace these players with ahead of the weekend. Um, the one thing that did sort of shock me just sort of moving slightly off off topic was that Greenwood didn't start on Tuesday night ahead of the fact that he wasn't going to be in the squad on Saturday, but there you go. Um, Yeah. Ideally you'd want to ease these players in, especially Clark coming, coming in after 
so long out of out of all sorts of, well out of all football I suppose um but yeah he was uh thrown into the fire on Saturday um because the injury list just keeps mounting and as you said he's probably going to be the first name on the team sheet now because we are on our knees after uh, yesterday. Right, I, I guess we just rip off the band-aid and sort of go straight into it yeah, Nathan. Um, unchanged team. Minutes on the clock at Ellen Road and it's fair to say that Emmanuel Latley-Laff just turned into Mbappe, really. Yeah, the stat merchants get what they want in terms of Lath here, um, as they've all told us, that he is the second coming of Mbappe. He gets the ball in that left channel, which, by the way, it's a really good move from Borough. It starts from Dieng, and we work it really well. Play out from the press, switch it over to that left-hand side where Bangura's got the haul of the left side by himself. He lays Lath down the side, and in the nicest way possible, I'm the least confident man in the world when he's when he's got the ball and he's about to have a shot. So to see him cut inside and leather one in the top corner at the near post, I mean, I do this all the time, but when I go to away games, I uh, book tickets on the end of rows just so I'm, I'm sort of out, out the way of everyone else. I was down the stairs. I was down, <laughs> I was down the stairs. Uh, I was with my brother yesterday and... I just pegged it down the stairs, didn't know where I was going, couldn't quite believe what was going on. Um, but yeah, it's that old adage of you scored too early because three minutes on the clock, one nil up, seven minutes on the clock, two one down. And it's it's a thing that we should have seen coming. Look, in midweek, Leeds played Swansea at Ellen Road, went 1-0 down after 45 seconds and equalised two minutes later. Um, yeah, you, you, there's always that sort of football cliche that you, you're at your most vulnerable as soon as you score your you goal. And uh, yeah, we certainly found that out. But there's there's a lot of things to pick at in the goal, uh, namely Dan Barlasser playing a, p- a pinpoint pass straight to a Leeds player. Byram down the left-hand side gets his crossing. It sort of flicks up off Jones, actually. Um, and at the back post, Paddy McNair and uh, Alex Bangura get out-jumped by the smallest player on the pitch. Uh, Dan James nods in. Yeah, 1-1, you think, right, their fans are going to be right up for it now. They've equalised. Just try and kill game, kill the momentum, stem everything that's going on, despite it being so early on in the game. Borough choose not to do that. Uh, Leeds go down the right-hand side this time. Ball's crossed into the box. McNair flicks it on and... uh, Dyke Steele stuck in the mud as Somerville, probably the second smallest player on the pitch, scores a header as well. So, yeah, in typical Borough fashion, you go from absolute elation to uh, despair. Yeah, I mean, defensively, it's just an absolute horror show on both of the 
both of the goals that you've mentioned. Um, look, the fact that Dan James scores the header, you'd think on most occasions it would be on an, a sort of analyst perspective that the worst part of the defence for a goal that you concede. But actually here, it's Dan Barlasa does something unforgivable and just tries to clip one out of the box. I don't even think Crooks is looking. I don't even think he knows or is aware that he has the ball. In that situation, when you've just scored, you're under pressure, just hook it into the channel. Just hook it into the channel. You've got Latte Laugh, who has just scored, is bouncing round, full of energy, as he always does, with an added pace to his running because of that confidence from the first goal. Literally just hit the channel and just try and relieve a little bit of pressure. Do not try and overplay in your own box and dink it out. It's suicide, isn't it? It, 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 it literally is. It's it's complete schoolboy football. And look, we're not sort of ex-players saying this, but anyone that understands football and has played football at any level knows it's just he's done the polar opposite of what he should have done, really. Um, and I'm all for the way we play. I know the way some fans of a certain age in particular, and I'm not tarring everyone with the same brush there, I mean, almost physically spewing at the riverside whenever, or over the past uh, two seasons, when Zach Steffen or Senny Dieng have got the ball, I mean, literally just screaming, just lever it up the park. I mean, that's just not going to happen under Michael Carrick, and nor do I want it to. But you've got to take context into this one and, and just say it's just, he's trying to overplay, and it's, as you say, it's just suicide. Um, and then, of course, you factor in the fact that the smallest player on the park out jumps two defenders and nods in. Um, yeah, look, I mean, if things couldn't have got any worse, Paddy McNair, the at times undestructible wall of a defender, the person that is always there to fill in when we knew when we usually have injuries. He plays about a gazillion games every season, going away with Ireland and playing for us and just being an all-round saviour at times, really, in terms of just numbers. And Paddy Manet, of course, isn't just a number. He's obviously a very good player um, at championship level. But yeah, when he goes down and starts feeling his back, then you really do start to think, we're up shit creep without a paddle here. <laughs> and if anything couldn't have got worse after possibly 20 seconds of Matt Clark having to come on, which isn't ideal in the best of scenarios. Of course, we've spoken about the length that he's been out to throw him in at Ellen Road under so much pressure, not ideal. And then the ball is ricocheting about and it's pretty much ended up with him trying to sort of do an ankle submission on Ruder, who was trying to get his shot off in the box. I'd like to say it's laughable, but at this point I was just crying nearly as as the penalty was given. And at first, you know what, I thought, what's he give a penalty for there? Seen the replay back and realised that, um, yeah, it was a pen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and I'd seen it as it happened in the ground. Luckily, my eyes were uh, working perfectly there. Um, 
but yeah, I, I knew he'd given a pen uh, as, as soon as well, as soon as I'd seen Clark raise his arm, really. Um, yeah. But actually, it's the first time this season. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Seni Tiang distribution this time. Uh, he tries to pick out Crooks in the middle of the park uh, with his left foot. And, yeah, probably never use your left foot ever against any because you're about 10 yards off here. Um, but you, you've got to also sort of respect good player when you see it. And he's pinged this ball in the middle of the park and it's gone straight to Ampadu. And Ampadu's returned it on his first touch with a ball direct into Ruta's feet when he stood on the edge of the box. So really good pass from Ampadu. Ruta turns and, and, and tries to get his shot away. I think he does actually get one away in the end. Um, yeah. but it's a bit of a P-roller. Um, referee gives a pen. And yeah, 3-1 up, expecting it could be a long afternoon. Um, in between the second and third goal and then just before half-time, Latte Lath probably has about three or four chances, really, which I'm looking at and I think he's probably got to be doing better at at least two or three of them. One of them, it's squared and he puts it over the bar from maybe eight yards. Awful. Got with the target. Um, gets laid through one-on-one. Um a little bit more difficult this one. Um, I think for me, if he's a little bit composed or more composed, and it's not a word that I would associate with Emmanuel Latte Laugh, um, he just takes it around Meslier because he's already committed. He's near yeah. enough. I, I think possibly you might say that the, the angle tightens and Meslier does well to, to get down early and sort of close it off. But I mean, you'd you'd hope that I, I don't really know if he's aware that Mesley is so quick off his line. Because if he is, I think he probably tries to dink him or go around him and he kind of doesn't either and scuffs his shot into him, really. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say, I think he should probably try and lift the shot a little bit. Um, and then the last one that I can remember, he's probably had another one that I can't remember. I think it was a header, wasn't it? The header, yeah, the header. I think he should do better, but apparently it was a tighter angle than I sort of anticipated from being in the stand. Um, but then, yeah, just before the break, Dan Barlasa puts the corner in the box. And just as we mentioned, with the Leeds goals, two smallest players on the pitch scoring headers, probably the third smallest player on the pitch scores a header. So it just goes to show the defending for, for all three really is quite poor. Um, yeah, it's a good header from Latte Lath. Obviously, he's got that leap on him. Get, I think he gets above Sam Byram uh, and just sort of glances the header in at that far corner. Gets us back into the game. And you're thinking, well, 1-0 up, 2-1 down, 3-1 down. Get yourself back to 3-2 going into the break. Hopefully, just chill out a little bit because it just felt like a basketball match at times. Leeds had a good couple of chances on the break as well. Obviously, we talked about last week. That's what they're most dangerous at doing because they've got pace in the front line. But, yeah, uh, in the nicest way possible, the game was ruined by a red card, which it also was a red card. Um, 
from from where I saw it in the ground and, and on replays. It's a second yellow card. It's a stupid, stupid yellow in the first place, uh, in the first half for Somerville. The ball's literally going out of play. Uh, in fact, you know what? I will, I will, I will defend. I don't know if this is what you were about to say, but I will defend Dyke Seal on the first yellow card because it's an absolute dive. He doesn't touch him. He does not touch Somerville. Somerville hoys himself on the floor, and it's not a yellow card. You've also got a factor in that when he makes the second challenge, he should know he's on a yellow and know better. But the first yellow is not a yellow card. Yeah, well, for me, it looked like he's just sort of stepped across Somerville and, and, and sort of clipped his, his back leg. But if he if he's hiding himself over, fair enough. But it goes to show the, the the sort of naivety for even getting close to him when you can see that the ball's going out of play from a big hoof in the channel. Um, as for the second one, just overplaying, just overplaying, that's what it is. Um, just get the ball off. To, to someone more comfortable on the ball than you. Um, three players round him. He spins back. His touch is awful. Set, sets himself up for a 50-50 tackle with James. Probably 60-40 in James's favour. And, uh, yeah, he's, he misses the ball completely. Catches his ankle. Said, yeah, it's a yellow card every day of the week. It's one of them frustrations with Anthony Dykesteel. Um, since Carrick's come in the door, he evidently hasn't really fancied him, uh, and has only put him in the team when he's needed to, when Smith's been injured or suspended. Um, and last season at Rotherham, he let himself down and hasn't found himself back in the team since then. And again yesterday, he's let himself down. Uh, with with just another rash decision and he'll find himself out the team for Ipswich. He'll probably find himself back in for Hull just because we're absolutely knackered in terms of injuries. But yeah, he's uh, he can make himself look a real liability at times. And it's unfortunate because he's a good player on his day. And I thought that he did relatively well. Uh, uh, marking probably the best best winger in the league yesterday um, but yeah to a lapse in concentration and a rash decision has made him pretty much cost us one goal at one end and get himself sent off at the other so it sums Dyke's deal up really yeah and it's it's so frustrating as well because you think of that Anthony Dykesteel that, yes, played a different position under Chris Wilder, but a defender with pace, fairly comfortable on the ball. Um, you know, you think of some of them performances in the, the FA Cup in the Wilder season, and, I mean, he was one of Borough's real standouts, to be honest, in that bat line. And the attributes that we've seen from him, not really under Michael Carrick, but that we know... He, we know he possesses you'd think that in that right back role he'd almost be a perfect fit 
um, you know, able to invert and, and fill in as that third centre-back, as, as we've seen countless times with the left-back bombing on last season and even this season since that little change in tactics. And yet, he, he, as you say, really, he's, he's been given an opportunity on very few occasions and during those very few occasions, he's let himself down twice now. And although I don't think it is the case, and I, I will reason that, you know, when a player is not playing for that long and is then thrown into a team, you are going to be a little bit rusty. You're probably going to do things that you wouldn't do if you were in the rhythm of playing consistent football matches. But also, you should know better not to dive in for that tackle. And he does. And unfortunately, now it is sort of, he's almost created a narrative himself that he can't really be trusted. And as harsh as that is to say, you can't keep on getting yourselves in or getting yourself in situations where you're giving the referee or leaving the referee with a decision to make. And he's done that twice now. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that kills the game or kills any real chance of us getting anything from the game. And yet we still go on and hit the post and nearly come away with the most unthinkable result. Well, not the most unthinkable, but I mean, even a point at that stage of the game would have been, you know, a miracle, really. Um, and it's it, it sounds harsh to say because, again, the exact topic from after Bristol City, I don't think we necessarily played horrendously, but then we just have these lapses in concentration and moments where we just shoot ourselves in the foot consistently. And again, it's another away game where you have to score three goals to get anything out of the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I love watching Michael Carrick's football. I love the players that, for the most part, that we've brought in this summer. They all fit an identity. They all fit a system. They're all exciting and have the ability to grow and become better. But I think perhaps a little bit of a question mark comes now towards Carrick that perhaps is he not adapting to certain situations as well as perhaps what he should? I think the answer at the moment is possibly yes. Um, you know, it, it's easy for fans to say, well, when you go from uh, away from home, you've got to keep things tight and counter-attack and try and do things that way. Look, we've seen with the likes of Ange Postacoglu, modern-day football managers have a style and they stick with it, but you've got to have some adaptability. And at the moment, we just don't have that. And it's getting us in situations. Yes, individual errors also, but playing the way that we do, trying to overplay a little bit at the back, gets you into scenarios where if you do make an individual mistake, the likelihood is you're going to concede a goal. And unfortunately, you look at the last three away games, nine goals scored, and one point gained from three away games. And it's just not sustainable, is it, Nathan? It's that same word again. Yeah, that isn't sustainable, you're right. But I think just sort of looking at yesterday as a whole, I'm going to sort of negate Bristol City and, and, and Plymouth, but yesterday as a whole, factor in, you're going away to probably the hardest place that you can go to in the league it's I do agree and of course the injuries as well it's it's, it's, it's hard. 
context is key a little bit, but also there's similar patterns that we've seen. Yeah, there there are um, in terms of conceding quick fire goals. I suppose you look at Plymouth, you concede their equaliser, and then they they want to get them in front. You concede them within sort of five minutes of each other. Bristol, the five minute spell before half time last week, and then yesterday you go one nil up and you go two one down in four minutes. It's it's inexcusable, really. You should. You should have the, well, the ability to just deal with that, that the crowd are going to get on top of you a little bit um, and get behind their team. You've just got yourselves in front and you've got to expect a response. You have to expect a response. Look, yes. I think it goes, sorry, Winter up. I think it goes under the radar in examples like yesterday. And it's not all he's good for, but a player like Tommy Smith, that experience is so key yesterday because at 1-0, if we if the ball goes out for a throw-in or even if we do concede the equaliser and then it's still frantic, he goes down and undoes his laces and ties them again and just basically kills the momentum. And it's such an underrated quality that at the moment we just seem to be really lacking and of course Daryl Dara Lenahan similar uh, obviously both great defenders but also just that now to know how to kill momentum how to silence a crowd how to just ha- basically a little bit of shithousery I think it often goes underrated and, and yeah yesterday we in these spells where you need that and you need a, a little bit of a reset and someone to just say, just for five minutes, just calm down. We just don't really have a player that's sort of got that in him, really. And I, I do think that's an, another reason why we're seeing these sort of five minutes of madness. No, yeah, you, you're probably right. And it's not even necessarily experience that you need. To, to do that I mean I know it's sort of a different different moment in the game yesterday but the ball gets played down our left hand side Bangura shielding it out for a goal kick and Archie Gray just jumps on him just to land just to land on him and leave one on him just to sort of frustrate him and annoy him Bangura jumps up and starts like trying to have a, a little ruckus with Gray and Gray just goes like laps in his face the kid's 17 and is just played you but my overriding feeling from yesterday is sort of just pride in the players they they've got the backs against the wall at the most difficult place to go in the league they're down to 10 men for over half an hour and they didn't concede a goal some teams just fold yeah when that happens some teams just fold and that goes 5-2 6-2 but the boys stood up. They defended really well. They frustrated Leeds. Okay, Leeds didn't have to go full throttle because they were leading in the game. But the boys battled and they had the best chance of the game in those in those half an hour, in that last half an hour, sorry. Honestly, overwhelmingly proud of, of those boys that were left on the pitch yesterday. Look, I've, I've criticised individual errors and criticised our five minutes of madness and... and, and done that side of it and yes the, the frustration's still there it's still a little bit raw we're not even 
well, we've gone past the 24-hour mark, but as any football fan will know, a result like that hurts for a couple of days, never mind 24 hours. Um, but yeah, I have criticised. I do need to also, as you mentioned, give the lads the credit to stick in there against players of, of that ability in that front line. Um, and, and not concede another goal was was really, really impressive. The the sort of fight and grit and determination to throw themselves in front of shots and dig in and, and really, even just a fashion one chance was going to be a big ask. And the fact that we are, what, five inches away from getting it on level terms again is, is remarkable in itself, really. Um and I mean, you look at some of the substitutes, you look at our bench yesterday, you look at theirs, and yes, albeit he's got an absolutely ridiculous haircut, but bringing Patrick Bamford on as a reserve striker isn't the worst substitute in the world. And also bringing on Willie Nonto, who was the subject of countless bids from Premier League sides over the summer. I mean, it must be nice, really, Nathan, that's all I can say. Um, fair play leads, if anything, some of the players that you have, I'm amazed that you're not higher up on the table. And one of the main reasons why you aren't higher up on the table is the team we play next. Yeah, before we go into what Ipswich are good at, Nathan, uh, I know you've obviously um, been playing for a Sunday League team, which we've we've mentioned over the past weeks. Obviously, uh, Rudds have been a talking point. Um, but you're going to have to ring the gaffer and tell him you're not available for Sunday because basically you are actually going to have to fill in it right back on Saturday against Ipswich because we have no players. I mean, in all seriousness, is Rory going to play? I don't know who's going to fill in it right back. It could be anyone. Could be could be me, you, Yusuf. I don't know who it'll be. Um, but yeah, obviously, I don't think we even mentioned, just talking about Leeds there, that Jones now, five yellow cards, pathetic to even dive in as Dan James hoofs the ball out for a goal kick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Jones obviously filled in at right back yesterday when Dyke Steele was subbed off. Obviously now we don't have Jones to fill in there. So yeah, Sammy Silvera at right back possibly. Johnny Alston at right back. In all seriousness, I think if there's no positive news on the injury front, I think it would probably have to be, well, either you throw in someone like Adjiman, who hasn't been in a senior squad all season, I don't think, or you drop Crooks back one. Obviously, Greenwood's available again because um, it's not against Leeds. And you play House in it right back. I think that's probably one option. I mean, I'm kind of clutching at straws, but I'm sure Michael Carrick will be as well. Do you want to know what? Has anyone got Dwight T and Dali's number? Yeah. We could do worse. I don't think we could. No, you're In right. all honesty. In all yeah. honesty. Um, look, it's going to be a really, really difficult test. They play a very similar way to the way that we do uh, in terms of the left-back bombs on. Um with Davis there, they have one of the standout left backs in the league in terms of his his delivery into the box in the front line. 
some interesting players you look about and you just think, hang on, surely like these players that we've seen doss about the championship and league one for the last, well, for the most of the careers, surely these are going to be found out soon for the, the, the sort of quality that they've got. Connor Chaplin, Broadhead, Wes Burns on the right, countlessly linked with Middlesbrough over the years when he was at Fleetwood. And we were, well, scrapping about players like Marcus Brown. Yeah, it's it's interesting to uh, to see that McKenna is sort of extending these players' abilities to their absolute maximum uh, at this moment in time. And uh, look... I think I think most of them will probably need drug testing at some point, um, because I did have them down as falling off by now. Just about to say, I think this game's been an interesting one for me personally for so long, because despite a lot, of, and let's be honest, I don't think anyone expected Ipswich to do as well as they are doing, but everyone sort of thought that out of the promoted teams, it wouldn't be a shock to see them in and around the playoffs. But they've exceeded expectations. Yet you have still, for quite a while now, been of the opinion that the wheels would eventually fall off. For me, I think we've gone past that now. I don't know if a drubbing at the Riverside is going to be enough to change your opinion about it. But, I mean, I hope that's not the case. But, yeah, you're going to see them in the flesh, Nathan, and I just hope that you are right um, and you have been right all along. Unfortunately, I just can't see it. No, I think, honestly, um, with me giving a lot of this chat, just to you, by the way, not not really anyone else, um, that I just feel that in this game, quality would come to the fore really both sides play a very similar way and I did feel that with our full strength side we'd in the nicest way possible just be able to deal with them Um, but look their left side's their strength and we haven't got a right back so we'll just have to wait and see what happens I mean Woodgate might fill in at centre half and we might have Ralph at right back Um, that is a possibility um, if if Housen sort of has to drop in to right back, we might have Carrick in midfield. You just, you, you really just don't know. Um, it, anything could happen uh, on the day, but it's my birthday on Thursday, so any chance, Borough? Yeah, as you say, it's going to be an extremely difficult test. The Ipswich sort of train is in full force. Tractor. The yeah, the Ipswich tractor is hitting full speed at the moment and doesn't look like it's gonna slow down at any stage. But yeah, Nathan, unless there's anything else that you'd like to add, um I, I think it's it's best if we wrap this podcast up and, and you go and do a couple of shuttle runs, maybe head out for a jog before, as I say, your championship debut on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll certainly be uh preparing myself to be at full throttle for Saturday. But Carrick against McKenna, I'm surprised Sky aren't rolling in it. If I'm honest, 
Um, really, it was a little bit of a shock that it didn't get selected for. Really, really surprised that Sky aren't rolling in it, uh, especially with the Man United loving that they have. Um, but yeah, this is this is one of the games since the start of the season. Um, even even before the runs of both sides have have been um, put together, where I've looked at and wanted to wanted to be there to see it. Carrick against McKenna, two really good youthful coaches with fresh ideas that have got really good sides going head to head, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a cracking game of football. So anyone not going, get yourself a ticket because I think it'll be a really good game. Bring it on. Yeah, we'll leave it at that, Nathan. Bring it on. Uh, So as always, if you have watched on YouTube, please do like and subscribe. If you have listened on audio platforms, please subscribe and follow the podcast and give us a five-star rating. Um, We'd greatly appreciate it. And from me and Nathan, as always, I thank you ever so much if you have tuned in. And that has been another episode of the Broplis podcast. Fire, fire, fire!